Well, we're in Matthew 13, and uh, we've been studying our way through Matthew 13, talking about the parable of the sower and, and the kingdom parables that are included in Matthew 13. Um, we are going to get to our first kingdom parable tonight, God willing, here as we proceed. But uh, Matthew starting in 13, starting in verse 24, give you just a second to get there. Then I'm going to thank the Lord for the word tonight and... Uh, We're going to just dig into verses 24. I'm going to read through 30 tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Father in heaven, that you've given us the precious Holy Spirit so that our spirits can come alive and understand the depth of your word. Father, tonight, open up our eyes, open up our understanding, open up our spirits, let there be good ground in our hearts. Plow up all that fallow ground and hard ground. God, plant the truth of your word deep in us tonight so that, Father, it will be at our disposal for eternity, Lord. We handle eternal things tonight. And, Father, we are sober-minded that it is an amazing exchange that we have as the Holy Spirit illuminates the word to us. So we prepare ourselves for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, least while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So there's a lot of moving parts to this parable. Realize that Jesus spoke in parables because The truth was hidden from the multitudes because they weren't seeking him with the whole heart. Those who followed him closely would get the real depth of the understanding. In fact, he's going to explain this parable to them in detail. They're going to ask for his explanation. We're going to look at a few verses of it tonight. Uh, If if we uh, are together next week, we'll look at uh, the conclusion of how Jesus interprets it. But verse 24 Uh, starts off another parable of the kingdom. And so I want to talk to you about the kingdom a little bit before we jump into the parable. Uh, What are the kingdoms at work in the world today? How many kingdoms are there? There are two kingdoms in operation, and they operate simultaneously. Many people think, well, there's the kingdom of men, there's the kingdom of angels, there's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of darkness. But it all boils down to two kingdoms. These two kingdoms operate simultaneously, and they are the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Those are the two kingdoms. You say, well, what about the kingdom of men? If those men are not submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, they're under the kingdom of darkness. What about the church? Well, the church is submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, so it's under the kingdom of heaven. There are two kingdoms, and you've got to know this, the kingdom of God. You're either in the kingdom of God or you're not in the kingdom of God. 
You're either in the kingdom of God and you're right with God because of Jesus Christ, or even if you're a nice person with a good heart and good intentions and do good things, you're in operation in the kingdom of darkness if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And many people don't understand this. Well, I'm a good person. Will I do good things? Will I do good works? But are you saved? Are you redeemed? Are you born again by the blood of the Lamb? That's what gets us entrance into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here today, but there are two kingdoms, and we need to know both of the kingdoms have a similar structure. There is a king in each kingdom. Hello? And there are workers or members of the kingdom in the kingdom. There are kingdom members and there are servants in the kingdom. And let's take a look at the kingdom of God first. The kingdom of God has the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at the center of the kingdom. Now, the Father has made Jesus King of kings and Lord of lords. So it's right for us to say that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. Because that was the Father's design. So here's the kingdom of God, and it has a king, and the king is Jesus. And that's by the Father's decree. Now, the king also has workers, and they're angels. And angels are worshipers. There are angels that are different classifications of angels. Some of them just sit around the throne room and worship. There are angels who are warriors. There are angels who herald the word of God. There's all different classification, but realize the angels are the workers of the kingdom of God, whether they're worshipers or workers or warriors or just ministering spirits. You know, this idea of having a guardian angel or angels assigned to us is a biblical idea, it, that we have angels that minister to us on God's behalf to protect us, to keep us, amen? Amen. So the, the, there's a king in our kingdom. There are workers in the kingdom. There are angels. And then there are members of the kingdom of God. And those who are members of the kingdom of God have gained entrance and acceptance into the kingdom only by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. There's only one way into the kingdom, and that's through Jesus. And if you're in Christ and you're born again and you're under the blood and Jesus is Savior and Lord, then you, even though you live in the earth, you are part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So one thing I want to say is the, the Bible mentions the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. They're not two separate kingdoms. They're one kingdom. They're one and the same. Uh, let's talk about the kingdom of darkness. We said it has a similar form to the kingdom of God. And that's because Satan always counterfeits everything God does. He mirrors it. He counterfeits it. And we're going to see that, you know, all throughout Scripture, uh, especially in the book of Revelation, where he, he constantly mirrors and counterfeits God. Why? Because Satan fell from heaven because he wanted to be God. He wanted to be God. So he wants to be worshipped. And he wants to be the center of man's attention. So let's take, talk about the structure of the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness has a king, and their king is the devil, Lucifer, who fell from heaven. Their king is Satan. The demons are the workers that are fallen angels that now work for the kingdom of darkness, and those are his workers. And those workers, you know, they are assigned to harass you and I. That old cartoonish image of an angel on one shoulder and a demon on another. Uh, there's a little bit of truth to that. While we have angels that minister to us to keep us, we also have demons that afflict us and tempt us and try to deceive us. Someone say amen. You're just looking at me tonight. 
This, this is not science fiction. This is Bible 101. So understand, the, the kingdoms mirror each other. There's a king. Their king is the devil. They have demons as workers, and lost man is the earthly expression of the kingdom of darkness. There are those who will not follow Christ, who have rejected uh, Jesus and, and said, you know, we're going to worship other things. We're going to believe other things. And what? They disqualify themselves from being part of the kingdom of God by rejecting Christ, and they are stuck in the kingdom of darkness. You say, well, why? By default, are you stuck in the kingdom of darkness? Because we were born with original sin, and we're all sinners that need to be redeemed. And unless we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we're stuck with our sin. And our sin ensures us entrance into the kingdom of darkness. So there's how the two kingdoms work. Uh, hell also has a throne like heaven has a throne. Uh, it also has earthly expression, just like the, the kingdom of God has a heavenly expression, the, those in the heavenly realm. And the church on the earth is the earthly expression of the kingdom of God. So Understand the two kingdoms mirror each other. They're both in operation at the same time. They're in conflict with each other. Now, I want to say uh, the two kingdoms are both diametrically opposed to each other and mutually exclusive. If you're taking notes tonight, write down some of these terms here to help you understand. Uh, First of all, the kingdoms are diametrically opposed to each other. What does that mean? They are opposite in every way. They're in conflict with each other. They don't get along. It's not, uh, you know, like, you know, you have your side and we have our side and you do your thing and we're equal. No, the kingdom of darkness is still under the authority of God Almighty. The Eastern idea of the yin and the yang where you have the good and the bad working together in this eternal conflict of good versus evil, you know, and, and, and we don't know who's going to win. We know who's going to win. Because God is only allowing evil to exist for a short season. You're looking at me like I'm making this stuff up. Hey, church, the devil loses. We win. I read the back of the book, and we win. Now, you say, well, the the darkness is just as powerful. No, it's not. The devil is defeated. When Jesus said it is finished, he wasn't being melodramatic. It is finished. No, he, he, he was literally declaring, now, there are some things that have not been redeemed yet, but they will be in the fullness of time. One of them is the title deed of the earth. The devil has dominion on the earth to a certain degree because the earth is in sin and under sin. But Jesus has bro- he's broken the grip of the enemy, and eventually he is going to put the enemy down for good and redeem everything that was destroyed by the curse of sin. So these are some kingdom things tonight that we're talking about. The kingdoms are diametrically opposed. They're polar opposites. The best picture we can get of this is John 10, 9 and 10. Jesus says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Listen, the thief does not come except to kill, to steal, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. Now realize that in John 10 there, those two verses give a real good picture of how the kingdoms are diametrically opposed and also how you get into the kingdom of God. In its simplest form, the darkness exists to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the thrust of the kingdom of darkness. 
It attacks everything that God's love. Why do demons attack people? Because God loves people. Why do they try to deceive people? Because once they know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they can be saved from their sin. So understand, the kingdom of darkness has one function, one thrust, to kill, steal, and destroy, attacking everything that God loves. The kingdom of darkness wants to gain the worship of men and wants to defy God and deceive as many souls as possible into believing a lie, into rejecting Jesus Christ, and into refusing the free gift of salvation. Do you realize how sinister the darkness is? that it can trick people to refuse a free gift that would redeem them from hell for eternity. And yet we live in the world that says, no, I don't want that. I'll find my own way. I'm a good person. I'll worship this. I'll worship that. I don't need Jesus. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. What? And narrow is the way that leads to life. Jesus said here, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in to him. And f- so Jesus is saying, you know, I'm the only way, and you've got to come into the kingdom by me. The kingdom of darkness does what it does. It kills, it steals, and re- it destroys. It deceives people to reject Jesus Christ so their souls would be damned for eternity. Now, the kingdom of God exists to glorify God. And listen, the the whole point of being in the kingdom of God is that we would be able to have relationship with our heavenly father. From the moment of our our creation, God wanted to have fellowship with us. He didn't think, you know, he wasn't just doing an experiment and poof, he made some people and he's like, ooh, look at these. I'll just turn them loose here and see what happens. You know, no, God made us for a purpose. He breathed life into us, made us a living soul, created us in his image. What? So that we can have relationship with him. The point of the kingdom of God is not for you to be a better version of you or you to, you know, come to church and do religious stuff. No, it's to know the father. It's to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of darkness exists to kill, steal, and destroy. God says, no, our kingdom is all about having relationship uh, with the Father, to elevate the name of Jesus, to save souls from sin, to set captives free, to give abundant life to all those who say yes to Christ. Look what he says. He doesn't say, I just want you to scrape by. He he doesn't say, I want you to just have enough so you're not miserable. No, I, I came to give you life and life abundant. Come on, smile at abundance, amen. I'm so glad that God is not a person, a cheap, stingy person. Aren't you glad about that? Anybody ever work for a cheap, stingy person? They give you a raise that gets eat up by your taxes, and the, you know you, you don't have enough, and they make you feel like you took it out of their pocket. And Cheap. That's not God. Abundant life. God wants to give us abundant life. God wants us to have relationship with him. God wants to redeem us from the curse of the law and from the bondage of sin. And the darkness wants to enforce all of that and destroy souls for eternity. So I hope you're seeing the stark contrast between the two kingdoms. They are mutually exclusive in the sense, you know, well, we talked about them being diametrically opposed. So you see that now. They're mutually exclusive in the sense that you cannot be in both kingdoms at the same time. That's what it means to be mutual. You can't, well, I, you know, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, but, you know, I vacation in the kingdom of darkness. 
I have dual citizenship. No, you can't. You're either saved or you're lost. It's real easy. It's either you're redeemed by the blood of the lamb and have a relationship with Jesus Christ or you're lost and you're in the darkness. Now, you can't be a member of both kingdoms. You can only be a member of one. Uh, You know, it's like a person can't be almost or mostly saved. You ever meet those people? I'm mostly saved. I'm almost saved. You know, you can't be almost or mostly saved no more than a woman can be mostly pregnant. You know, I'm almost, I'm mostly. No, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You're either part of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ or you're not. So being part of the kingdom requires a person to repent of their sins, to be born again, and to personally receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. This is the only way to enter the kingdom. Listen to John 3, and I'm not going to say 16. There's other parts of John 3. You know, John had 15 verses before 16, and there's more after it. So listen to John 3, 1 through 6. This is where Jesus gets into the interaction with Nicodemus, the the religious leader who comes to him in the dark to ask some questions about salvation. Listen to what Jesus says to him. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the kingdom is mutually exclusive, and the only way is in through Jesus. And the only way to get in through Jesus is to be born again. You've got to be born of water and spirit. I've talked about this several times. When we're in our mother's womb, we're floating around the amniotic fluid. What happens before a woman gives birth? The water does what? It breaks, and then you're born of water. Now, that's your natural birth. And when you're born of water, you're born with original sin, so it's flesh. We don't come out of our mom's womb saved, speaking in tongues, prophesying. We come out lost, needing to be redeemed. Now, that's born of water. Now, being born of the Spirit is when we are born again and the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us and we say yes and we receive him and now we're born of the Spirit. And Jesus is saying, you can't get into the kingdom of God if you're born just of the flesh. You've got to be born of the Spirit. Are you getting this? So the kingdoms are mutually exclusive. You can only be in one or the other. And now we know the only way to be in the kingdom of God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ to be born of the spirit. So I said all that about the kingdom to set up the seven kingdom parables that we're going to look at in Matthew 13. Did everybody survive? Do we need a, a nap and some cookies? And our, Yes. So I know that's a lot, but it's a preface. I took a course in Bible college on the kingdom of God that lasted for 16 weeks. or So, so there's a whole lot to the kingdom. Okay, so uh, we just got kind of a uh, you know, tip of the iceberg, but it's enough for us to proceed. So let's examine the first kingdom principle of uh, the kingdom parable of Matthew 13. It's called the, the, the parable of the tares in the field by the disciples in verse 36. Some, of it, some call it the parable of the tares. 
We read it uh, in verse 24 through 30, and Jesus explains the parable in verses 36 through 43. So let's start off with verse 24. It said, another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man. See, it's a parable. He's giving a story or an illustration to illustrate a, a spiritual point. Who sowed his seed in a field. But while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. Let's stop there. Let's start with verse 24. First of all, the... the the quality of the seed that's sown is very important here. Uh, he's talking about a man who sowed seed in the ground. He sowed good seed. Say good. He did the right thing. He sowed good seed. We're going to see later on in the, uh, the interpretation of this as Jesus gives it that the, the person sowing the seed couldn't help but sow good seed because it's Jesus himself. So, he sows this good seed, and the quality of the seed is very important. Every bag of seed that you buy, if you farm or you plant crops, every bag of seed that you buy is going to have a list on the side of it that gives an analysis of what's in the bag. I planted some rye this year uh, on my property, and here's what is in rye that it, it's, it's this little tag that comes on the bag, and it tells you everything that's in the bag. And this is important. It tells you, number one, the purity of this seed is 98% pure. There's 0.25% crop seed in it. There's 0.25% uh, weeds in it. There's inert material, 1.5%. And there are no noxious weeds. So this seed is pure of all noxious weeds. There's no tears in it. Okay? Its germination rate is 85%. It was tested, and its net weight is 50 pounds. Here's what's in the bag of seed. Now, a farmer knows what he's putting in the ground. Why? Because if he doesn't put good seed in the ground, and it's got all kinds of garbage in it, if you don't get good seed, you're going to get garbage in the seed, and that's going to that's gonna limit your crop. There's going to be weeds. You, you, you might get stuff in the ground that, you know, creates all kinds of issues. So understand the type of seed that needs to be sown is good seed. And the man in the parable sowed good seed. He did his part. He didn't cut any corners, and he made no compromises. Now, that's a great lesson for all of us because each of us is going to reap what we sow. So it's good every once in a while to analyze the type of seed that we're sowing in our life. The type of seed we're sowing by the way we spend our time, by the things we look at, by the, the things we do. Come on, the things we look at when we surf the internet. What, what kind of seed is that putting in the ground of our hearts? The people we hang out with, do they lift us up? Do they encourage us to love the Lord? Or do they drag us down and they make us more worldly? Come on, Wednesday night, it's too late to escape now. You know, we've got to analyze the seed. Are we, this guy did his part, put good seed in the ground. You know, even this really good rye grain seed that I sowed, it was only 98% pure, so there's some stuff in it that, you know, it's not 100% that, but this guy sowed good seed, and that's a good lesson for us. So let's be, let's be aware of what we're sowing in our lives, in our relationships, what we're sowing into our marriages, what we're sowing into our children. Verse 25 is where it gets interesting. But while the man slept, now the man did his part, sowed the good seed. While the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares, which are weeds, among the wheat and went his way. So this is, you know, this is kind of 
for the part of the parable that shows, you know, that even when we do our best, life is not perfect. Anyone, anyone have a perfect life? No. The answer is no. You know, people say, I have a perfect marriage. Impossible. There was only one perfect marriage, and that was in the garden, and they messed up. There again, in, in Bible school, we study there's only three types of marriage. You can have a good marriage, a tolerable marriage, or an intolerable marriage. If you have a good marriage, thank Jesus. But it's never going to be perfect. Now, you should work to make it as good as possible. Boy, the eyes are like daggers on me right now. But there is no perfection on this side of heaven because everything around us is touched by sin. So the enemy comes and he comes in the dark and he sows weeds among the good seed. Now, he did this while the people were sleeping. Notice when the tares were sown in the dark while they were asleep. This is both a warning and a reminder to us that we are vulnerable and we all have weaknesses. We should be alert and vigilant at all times. How many would say amen? Let me say it again. We should be alert and vigilant at all times. Amen? But the truth is we can't be alert and vigilant all the time because at some point we've got to sleep. At some point we get tired. At some, you can't stand guard all night. You know, I'm standing guard. My family's sleeping. I'm standing guard. Everything's going good. It looks good. Eventually you're going to be... Why is that? Because we all have human weaknesses. We, we can't be vigilant all the time. We, you, they couldn't be expected to stay up all night, they, they post a watch and guard in the dark. No, it's it just, you know, their enemy came when they were vulnerable. And all of us need to understand, you know, we can do our best, but we have these human limitations, and it's not possible for us to be vigilant at all times. We're going to make mistakes. Someone say Amen. We're going to miss the warning sign sometimes. How many ever been through something or dealt with a person and you said, man, I should have picked up the warning signs? There were so many red flags. How did I miss them? You see this? It's our human weakness. We get tricked. We fall asleep at some point. Spiritually, we fall asleep at some point. And our enemy exploits our human weakness because he's ruthless, he's patient, and he doesn't have the same limitations that we have. You understand what I just said? Our enemy doesn't have the same limitations we have, doesn't play by our rules, doesn't have the weaknesses we have. He doesn't fall asleep. He doesn't, you know, get tricked. He doesn't, you know, take a vacation. He doesn't, you know, uh, give us a break. 24-7, 365 days a year, he's plotting, planning, watching, and waiting for his opportunity to plant weeds in the good seed that we've sown. You got to understand, no matter how hard we try, we still have to deal with sin and sinful people in this world. We have to deal with our own sin, and we have to deal with an enemy that is relentless, who is constantly waiting for us to make a mistake. The reality is, nothing we do in this sinful, fallen world is going to be perfect. I'm hearing a few, amen, amen, amen. But you know what? All you perfectionists out there, you're not, you're not saying anything. 
Some of us are perfectionists, and we want things perfect, and we want it just our way, and we, want it, and we don't want any tears in it, and we don't want any, you know, this and that. We want it perfect, and the thing is, perfectionism will kill us because nothing in this world is perfect. So if you are a perfectionist today, stop it. Repent and just trust God for the good and do your best. God never asked us to be perfect. If God wanted us perfect, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. He would say, well, let's see, let's see who could do it right. Let's see who could be perfect. That didn't work. God asks us to do our best with the right heart. So, you see, we sowed good seed, and, you know, now there's tears in it, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but, you know, we can't be perfectionist because it's impossible. We, we are called to do our best, so there's always going to be challenges and complications and disappointments along the way, no matter how hard we try, and we must learn to trust in the faithfulness and the goodness of God for him to work it all out in the end. Someone say Amen. So verse 26 continues here. It says, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So I want you to get this. What kind of seed did the man plant? Say it loud. Good seed, right? So now the seed's planted. It's under the dirt, and you're waiting for it to pop up, and it comes up, and guess what? There's weeds in it. You planted good seed. You did the right things. You did your best, and boom, you've got a harvest of weeds. How does that feel? How does it feel? Not good. When we reap what we've sown, that's our fault. Hello? When you reap what you've sown, you take your lumps. But listen, when we reap what we didn't sow, it's real easy for us to get angry and disappointed. There's times where I've reaped things that I felt I didn't sow. I was stolen from. People stole my stuff, and I never stole. And I'm like, hey, I didn't sow that. How come I'm reaping it? I didn't steal, and these people stole from me. Did you ever feel like you reaped something you didn't? You were kind, and they were mean. You gave, and they took. You loved, and they hurt you. When we reap stuff that we feel like we didn't sow, that's when we get angry and disappointed. Hey, if I sowed it, it's my fault. I'll take my lumps, learn uh, my lesson. But now I've reaped something that I didn't sow. This guy sowed good seed and he got weeds. So now it's decision time. How are we going to act when stuff like this happens in our life? How are we going to act uh, when, you know, life is unjust to us? Come on, I'm trying to get real here on Wednesday night. When, when it's just unfair. Anybody had something happen to them that it's just unjust? unfair mm. and so it's decision time when that happens are we going to get angry at the injustice of life are we going to you know get mad at god people get mad at god i did my part i did the right thing it was supposed to work out look at all these weeds what why 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 <laughs> i know we don't like to admit it but that's us at times and so you know, look at, the, look at the result here is that good seed was sown, weeds came up, so you got to make a decision. Are we going to blame God? Are we going to blame others? Uh, are we going to get angry? Uh, are we going to, 
you know, act completely immature when we're disappointed? Are we going to want to quit on life, on God, on our calling? Uh, are we going to go backwards and shake our fist at heaven? Or are we going to believe that God is a good God and that he's a just God and that he sees the injustice and he's going to work it out for us? Are we going to believe that vengeance is the Lord's? He will repay. Are we going to believe that God's going to make the crooked thing straight? Are we going to try and do it ourselves? You sowed good seed and you got some weeds. So it's decision time. As we become more and more mature, we have got to learn to use discernment, to not blame God, but to realize it's everything else but God. It's us, it's others, it's the devil, but it's not God. Come on, we got to get that. Verse 27 is par for the course here. So the servants of the owner came to him. Now watch this. The guy did the right thing, sowed the right seed. Here comes the weeds. Verse 27, it's par for the course. So the servants came to the owner and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Why does it have tares? <laughs> you know, when we're angry and disappointed and hurt, here comes the parade of people looking to assign blame. Come on, I'm preaching a lot better than you're shouting tonight. We do the right things, we're serving God, we're trying our best, and, and something bad happens, and everybody wants to come and find out what we did wrong. You know, didn't, didn't you, you know, we had to put it in the ground here, but didn't you get good seed? What did you buy, garbage? Did you, did you cut corners? Why are there weeds in it? And here comes the people, and right away, they want to make accusations. You know, didn't you sow good seed? Why is there weeds? You know, and it's brutal to deal with the accusations of people in life as we suffer injustices. I want you to see that Jesus came with all the right motives and the right heart, being fully God and being completely loving, and people constantly attacked him and made assumptions about him. The Pharisees said he, he, he cast out demons by Beelzebub. They accused him of being demon-possessed. He's a wine-bibber. He eats with sinners and prostitutes. <laughs> if Jesus could make them happy, what hope do we have? So the accusations come here, and this is what happens in life when we're disappointed and injustices happen. On top of it, to add insult to injury, right away people are going to accuse us. You know, and I, I think it's brutal that people suffer these things in life, and I can't help but of thinking about Job and his friends. Notice I'm saying friends. You remember Job when everything went wrong? His, you know, his children all died. He's covered with sores and blisters. He, he's, he's attacked from every direction. He's lost everything he had, and his friends come, and they sit down with him. Now, for a long time, his friends you know, just sit there and, and you know, they, they kind of just stay with him. But after a while, they're not silent anymore. And pretty soon, the accusations fly. You realize what these guys said to Job. Now, here's Job 4, 7 through 8. Here's one of his friends and what they say. Remember now, whoever, whoever perished being innocent or where have the upright ever been cut off? Those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. So they sat with him for a while, and then after a while, they were like, Job, come on, fess up. This has got to be your fault. You must have done something. You must have sown something. You must have, you know, you must have ticked off God somehow. How about Job 820? 
Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold evildoers. So here's his other friend saying, Job, you're not blameless, and obviously you're an evildoer. Anybody read Job? Anybody have friends like this? Job 11, 14 through 15. Here's another friend's comment. If iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and fear not. So his other friend is saying, there's, there's wickedness in your house. There's, there's some kind of compromise. There's some kind of sin. Come on, Job, just fess up. What did you do? God doesn't punish the innocent. Huh. So here's Job, and he did nothing wrong. And the enemy sought God to test him and said, you know, uh, you know, everybody down there is miserable. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil made a bet. Uh, if, if you let me do this, he'll curse you to your face. And God said, you can touch everything in his life, but not his life. And the devil said, bet. And Job gets attacked. And then his friends look and go, ah, Job must be bad. So when life is unjust, the parade of the accusers come and they hurl accusations. Now, I wish I could tell you to get ready for that and prepare yourself for it, but I don't think we can. I think in those moments we have to, you know, stand on the grace of God and we have to, uh, you know, just trust the Lord and not feel like we need to defend ourselves. Even Job does some of that, but realize there's always going to be people who come and hurl accusations at you. And in the end, all that matters is what's true and what the Lord knows is true. The Lord was 100% pleased with Job at the end and blessed him. His friends, uh, you know, were 100% wrong and didn't have discernment. And let's look at verse 28, the first part of it, and close there. It says this. He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the, the guy said, didn't you sow good seed? And he didn't, you know, he didn't say, of course I did. You're all fired. No, he says, Easy, guys. It was good seed. An enemy has done this. Now, it's vitally important in the situations of life where there's, you know, trouble and disappointment that we have discernment, and it has to be accurate discernment. When it comes to trouble and confusing situations, uh, you know, and all of these disappointing scenarios of life, we have got to discern what's going on. You say, why? Why do we have to know? So we have to know if we need to repent, if we need to get on our knees before God, if it's the enemy doing it, if it's something we sowed. If they're... Listen, we have to have discernment. Have you ever been in a situation and you don't know what's going on? You don't know whose fault it is. You don't know if it's a test from God or, you know, uh, an attack from the enemy. And you don't know whether to repent or praise the Lord or go to sleep and hope tomorrow it's better. We've all been in situations like that. Yet the one who sowed the good seed here has confidence in that he did the right thing. He has confidence in God and he discerns, no, it wasn't God. It wasn't my flaw or my fault. It was an enemy. Look, blaming God when it's not God is extremely counterproductive. What do most people do in crisis? They blame God. Even Christians. And blaming God is counterproductive. You say, why? Because it's never his fault. 
He never drops the ball. He's never unjust. He never rewards good with evil. Listen, God is always just. He's always kind. He's always loving. It's not God. It's us or someone else or the enemy. And what does the enemy do? He tricks us into getting mad at God because things didn't work out. And look, I sowed good seed, and now there's weeds. I'm going to go back and serve the devil. I quit. It's counterproductive to blame God. But listen, listen to this. It's also counterproductive to blame everything on the devil. Oh, Wednesday night. You meet these people, these Christians, the devil did this and the devil did that. And the devil tripped me up and the devil drove all my friends away. And the devil's going. And God's going. Sometimes it's not the devil. Sometimes it's our bad decisions, our bad choices, our bad attitude, our bad behavior. Nobody likes to hear this. I mean, I can't even blame it on the devil. It was me. Yeah, sometimes the devil is me. Well, no one's coming back next week. (laughs) We blame God. And it's not God. And sometimes you blame the devil, and it's not even the devil. Sometimes 100% of my drama was created by me. It's not good, you know, to blame God or the devil. And sometimes it is us, but it's also not good to always blame yourself. Do you ever meet people who always blame themselves? Oh, it's my fault. I should have. They make excuses for other people's bad behavior. They're abused by others, and it's their fault. Well, they hit me, but, you know, it was my fault. I didn't, I didn't do X, Y, and Z. These abusive relationships. Whew. Don't blame yourself all the time. Don't blame God any of the time. Figure out if it's an attack of the enemy or if it's what we've sown in our own bad attitude. But to, to, to untangle what I'm talking about here takes discernment. And so we need it. And if we don't have it, we should ask God for it. And if we still can't get clarity, we should come to leadership, solid, godly people who have discernment, who are, whose emotions are not riled up, who can see clearly in and say, here's what it is. Now, did Job's friends have discernment? Say, say it loud. They didn't. They were t- totally wrong. Every judgment they made, every accusation they made, every argument they made, it's just got to be you, Job, was completely wrong. So be careful who you let speak into your situations. Get around godly people who love you and have good intentions and, and can hear the voice of God. So I end with this. How's your discernment tonight? Do you blame the wrong people before you figure things out? Have you ever met people like that? They blame everybody. They lost something. You stole it. No, you stole it. The mailman took it. The UPS man snatched that out of my garage. And then you find it under something that you threw. And oh, they don't apologize to anybody. They just called everybody a liar, a thief. Well, I found it. How's your discernment? How's, you know, how's it going with with that? Do you blame the wrong people before you figure it out? Are you mad at God for things he didn't do? Stop and learn to discern and hear the voice of God because we're going to have trouble in this life and things aren't going to be perfect. And we have an enemy who comes even when we do all the right things and sows 
weeds into our good seed. But as we continue to unfold this, we're going to see that the Lord is able to deal with the weeds in the wisest way. So realize God will reward us for doing the right things and don't let the weeds get you down. We're going to have to watch them grow a little bit, but they're going to be taken care of in the end. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you tonight for the word. I thank you for these people who have come to, to receive meat on Wednesday night. Father, I pray that you fed them well tonight. And Father, I pray tonight that each of us would learn these principles and understand uh, that the world we live in is sinful and there's going to be trouble and drama and there's going to be weeds. But Lord, we can trust you to work all this stuff out because you're the Lord of the harvest. And in the end, you're going you're gonna to deal with the weeds and you're going to deal with the tares and you're going to deal with the darkness because the kingdom of God is above every kingdom. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, will straighten every crooked thing and deal with every injustice. So we trust you, Lord, even as we watch the weeds grow. We trust you, and we wait for your hand in Jesus' name.